Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we're really excited, Lou and I, to have Tony Uphoff with us, who is president and CEO of Thomas. That's the corporate umbrella. Underneath that is thomasnet.com. And if you haven't heard of thomasnet.com, we'd all be surprised. I mean, it's possible, but type in thomasnet.com, and it's a wonderful directory of information for manufacturers. It's been around for years. It's converted from the old green books, Lou, that you used forever into the new digital version. So, I Lou, still use it. You know more about that than I do because you've been working with it for 40 years. I have. I have. And uh, they're a good company to work with. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. It's always a, a blast to be on with you and Tim. Good to see you, Tim. Yeah, nice to be here with you. Okay. So, uh, Tony, what's new at thomas.com yeah thomas um a a lot and so i'll just give you a few things and we stay in touch so you're aware of this perhaps some of your your viewers aren't so uh we're about to launch uh later this year version 5.0 of thomasnet and uh so we've gone to versioning of the platform with a really myopic focus on the user experience so we run thomasnet today like a paid procurement platform but it's free to the user and we increasingly are adding features that add the functionality around how a buyer buys today their jobs to be done so you'll see a whole new set of features are going to be added to the user experience other thing we're doing in 5.0 is enhancing the supplier experience so that the supplier can get a similar type of experience and go on and manage their content, manage the information they have on the platform in just an easier and smoother way. Are are you saying something that you said about three lines back? Is the buyer experience changing? Um, Boy, it it has changed a lot, as you know. and, And Um, You and I have talked extensively about the the latest data is now that 70% of a buyer experience is through before they engage with a sales rep today. Mm. And this is the impact of the internet. It's the impact of platforms and tools like ThomasNet. But what it's also doing is creating, frankly, some turbulence and havoc amongst manufacturers, as you know, Lou, because what we're witnessing in real time is an acceleration of the digital transformation of industrial marketing, sales, and supply chain management. And while those are easy words to say and they sound kind of buzzy, the fact of the matter is a lot of North American manufacturers are still struggling because they've not really thought about sales and marketing as a strategic imperative. They put most of their energy around engineering and process management and factory floors. And and I'm generalizing here, obviously. Um, But it's a real challenge, I think, for a lot of companies. And so we try to spend a lot of time taking the data from our platform. Every two seconds, somebody's selecting a product or a supplier on ThomasNet and just sharing it in the marketplace so that we can give some... Um, some visibility to what that journey looks like mm-hmm. to help companies understand how to manage that process. To support your point uh, and the fact that uh, uh, All Metals and Forge Group, which is our metals company and Manufacturing Talk Radio, we're dealing with lots of s- suppliers, and manufacturers, and so on. And what we're finding, again, to support your point, is that manufacturers are so busy um, running their businesses. Uh, as a manufacturer and quality and engineering and all of those things that 
they have a difficulty in broadening their their scope into yeah. bigger markets, better markets, uh, uh, competing against their competitors. Yeah. In a better way, a different yeah. way, yeah. and which, by the way, Manufacturing Talk Radio is exactly that. You bet. Uh, we started Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, next month will be six years. Yeah. And the whole idea and plan was to bring more manufacturers through Manufacturing yeah. Talk Radio to all metals and forge yeah. group, and it's working. Yeah. Well, and, and I've shared with you and Tim before when we first met, you know, several years ago, you all were innovators. You still are. I mean, this is not as common as we might see in other industries. And right. it's funny, Lou, picking up on your points, I, I, we spend a lot of time uh, sharing in the marketplace. There's three huge trends that we think are creating both challenge but also tremendous opportunity in the manufacturing industry. So the first one is this digital transformation of sales, marketing, and supply chain management. Globalization is the second one, and tariffs and other things fit into that. And these are linked, obviously, they, right. they're linked together. But the third is, a changing demographic workforce. So in 2017, and you and I have talked about this right. before, in 2017, demographers saw the first time in history where a, a second generation that is the same size of the largest generation ever created, the baby boom generation, mm -hmm. the millennial generation, is in the workforce at the exact same time. So in the case of ThomasNet, half of our usage from active registers are millennial managers today. And that's changing so many things. So you can link that back to the digital transformation accelerating. Obviously, these are digital natives. You know, these are people that right. don't remember. It's like my generation. I don't remember a world without the television. I'm sure for my parents, they thought, you know, what's this kid staring at this box for, right? right? My daughter's generation, millennial, she doesn't remember the world without the Internet. So they're, they're starting to change our companies. And it's important for U.S. manufacturers to know two things about that. One is that's their workforce, but it's also their customer, right? right? So that, you know, we live in a multi-generational workforce where, man, you know, frankly, Tim, the stretch of that demographics is broader than it's ever been. You know, our, dem our de demos now go from 18 to 70 of the active registered right. users on the platform, which is right. really remarkable. Right. Uh, one, of, one of the problems that uh, exist and uh, we'll probably talk about it maybe now, uh, and that's the skill gap. Uh, you know, 10,000 people a day are retiring or dying, yep. and only 4,000 are coming into the workforce yep. that same day. Yep. So we already have a deficit, yep. uh, and they need to really find the solution, which is there. Yep. There, there is a solution. Yep. Nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> the solution is, and I guess you want to talk about it, Tim? <laughs> you go ahead. Oh, all right. All right. So we, we have uh, 2 million prisoners that don't need to be in prison, that you know, maybe they should be retrained differently instead of learning how to uh, produce textiles. And yep. when they come out of prison, they have yep. to go to Malaysia to get yep. a job. Um, and maybe they need to be trained better yep. within the prison system. Yep. Uh, we also have, let's see, hmm, immigration. Yep. That's where we got our original yep. industrial manufacturing workforce yep. in 1900 with the manufacturing, with yep. the immigration. Yep. And we're, well, some of us are the ones that are not playing that game. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, Lou, I, I don't need to tell you, you know it as well as anybody in the industry. I think the latest stats is there's about one and a half million open jobs. Right. They're projecting this to, you know, continue to, to go up and not in a positive way, meaning there'll be more open jobs. 
talk about competitiveness. If we can't figure out solutions to this, and, and I, I think your solutions are very innovative. I mean, you've got a, a, a great history at this, but you also have a, a multifaceted background where you can see this from a lot of different angles. You know, the, the, the thing we look at in this part of the marketplace, <clears throat> and um, one of the things that I should have mentioned that's new for us, uh, next month we're going to be launching a podcast that's going to come out twice a month, and it's interviews, and we'd love to have you on to talk about some of these trends. We've got about six or seven we've taped, and we're going to continue to do, you know, a couple of times a month. I should be on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, as I'm saying these words, Tim, I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh. Uh oh! I should have, I should have, I should have invited him already. I'm in real trouble now. And then the interview went downhill from there. Yeah, went downhill from there. But one of the people we had on at the very earliest uh, place was uh, is a guy named uh, Dr. Sal Menza, and he is the superintendent of the Wallingford, Connecticut school district. The reason I was so impassioned to have him on is I went to our friends at the Department of Commerce about the skills shortage, and I said, other than wringing our hands and all that kind of stuff, we're a big platform. You know, we can advocate for this. Show me an example of where this is working, and I want to shine a light on it. And what this guy did, and I won't tell the whole story, but seven or eight years ago when he took over the position, he went to 10 manufacturing companies in town and said, sit on my board and help me draft the business plan for the school district. And what they've done is they've gotten parents and kids and everybody organized around, hey, maybe Tony should go into manufacturing. Maybe that's a really cool career. Maybe Tony doesn't need a four-year degree. Maybe he needs a two-year trade degree. Maybe there's apprenticeships. Now, can that scale in other areas? Don't know yet. But, boy, I think these types of innovative solutions are things that we, as an industry, just need to highlight more and see where people can replicate them. Well, let me tell you a a story that happened just recently. Uh, uh, I'm on an advisory council for uh, Virtual Enterprise International, Hmm. and it's an educational system that uh, they sell their program to high schools uh, of teaching 11th and 12th graders how to become entrepreneurs. Yeah. And Love uh, that. I came up with a tagline a couple of weeks ago with them entrepreneurship as a career. Yeah. And it's a great line. And they've yeah. got uh, 600 schools that they're in right now. Yeah. They've got 15,000 students that are involved. And they're in 17 states. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're looking to really help love that. And promote them. Yeah. And perhaps we should be talking I, about I, that. I'd love to have you come on and talk about those types of things great. because I, it, it's. You know, look, I, I, I don't want to get too far down the path of advocacy because it sounds like a slogan, but I, I think we owe it to the industry that mm-hmm. we serve to be able to showcase solutions like that. Sure. And, sure. you know, we don't have a, a point of view other than we advocate for industry. I mean, that's and, what we do. And, and I agree with you, obviously, that the government, and I'm not going to say anything nasty, the government is <laughs> not the one who we should be relying on I agree. to help industry. I agree. I agree. That's all I'm going to say about yeah. it. No, I, I agree. And, and uh, it's, it's something that is, the, the skills gap is near and dear to all of our hearts. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that, that um, to your point, there are solutions out there. And there are things that are working. I just don't know right. that we have them up to scale yet. Right. Right. To, right. to, to really attack the problem in a, in a far more measurable way. Yeah. But it's, there are, like I said, there are solutions and there are people out there who are uh, really committed. Yeah. And the people that I met at VEI, uh, they're incredibly committed people and uh, I'm glad to be part of it yeah. with them. 
And, yeah. Uh, you know, like it's I said, we'll talk about it. I, I look forward to that. Yeah. We'll talk yeah. About it. yeah. So, so, so as you travel the country, and we're talking about some of the issues and challenges that manufacturing has, what are you sharing with your audience about the state of U.S. manufacturing? It seems to me it's pretty good, and it's been good for the longest economic expansion in U.S. history. What's it look like for the next year? How's it going now? Yeah, it's a great question, Tim, and I'd love to open up a dialogue amongst the three of us about that. It's interesting. I, I had the uh, great good fortune to be uh, live on Fox Business the day after uh, the ISM report, the procurement report that tanked the markets by 500 points. So it was a fascinating time because I was asked him basically the same question and uh, twofold. And I, I hope I don't offend anybody by what I'm about to say, anybody in your audience, but be my guess. the ISM report <clears throat> was developed in 1948. It's never been updated. It's a survey amongst 300 purchasing professionals who are unnamed and they attempt to uplift that survey to a $2.3 trillion U.S. manufacturing industry. So I'm reasonably facile with numbers. You're reasonably facile with numbers. Let me just help you. That doesn't work. It doesn't compute. The math doesn't tie out. On the exact same day that the ISM report came out, IHS, a professional research company who has a much more in-depth sample, actually showed expansion in the month of September. So. You know, I think there's so much false data out there, Tim, and, and some of it's false positive, some of it's false negative. The average American doesn't realize there is no such thing as a point of sale system for the manufacturing industry. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're sca barcode scanning these, you know, <laughs> custom manufacturing products when they go out. All long way of saying, if I look at the IHS reports, I look at the data we can see and demand on our platform, and we've got 10,000 plus customers, we're constantly out talking to markets, we track all this data. We see a very, very healthy um, uh, US and North American manufacturing industry right now. Couple of trends that are underneath the covers that are causing some areas of concern or challenge. So you don't have to get too far from the tariffs to kind of realize, you know, okay, that's, that's something that is causing, if not uh, some challenges, it's causing some pause. And so what we're seeing is, in the areas where the tariffs have been enacted, we can see very clear and sustained increases in North American manufacturing for those types of goods. So we can see it in steel, we can see it in aluminum, we can see it in lumber, we can see it around PCB boards and others. So again, very clear lifts of demand with North American suppliers. Now, what's less difficult to see, but we intuit, is even, let's take lumber as an example, even with that increase, it's not going to outrun business lost if you're no longer doing business with China, right? So, so as of yet, that increase in demand won't outrun the loss of, of a buyer the size right. of, you know, a major Chinese buyer. So there's clearly going to be some movement around as those tariffs move back and forth. Um, I, I spent a fair amount of time with uh, Congressman Tom Reed with the 33rd District uh, and uh, in New York, and he sits on Ways and Means, and he's you know, a very influential guy in these areas. And I, I don't think I'm broaching any confidence. I think he's reasonably complicated. This is going to swing back and forth, but we're going to get to a, an equilibrium here around the tariffs and, and understand, um, you know, how these, you know, can be rectified and how we can move forward with this. We may go through a little bit of turbulence as we get there, but, you know, I, I think that uh, that'll be worked through. And I guess the last piece I would mention is 
there's some drivers to the U.S. manufacturing economy that I think, um, because there's such a misperception that the average person probably doesn't see, Tim. So, you know, reshoring has been on a sustained basis for the last five years. So these are U.S. companies, as you well know, moving manufacturing back to North America, and they're not doing it for altruistic reasons. They're doing it because it makes good economic sense today and quality sense, right? So that's been a sustained phenomenon that's been uh, been been uh, happening here. Employment levels in U.S. manufacturing, we added 4,000 jobs, I guess it was last month. We're at 1948 levels of total employment in U.S. manufacturing, which is really remarkable. The average person kind of, wait, what? How is that possible? Because they've been told that everything went overseas and there is no U.S. manufacturing industry. And I think, you know, those misperceptions are done for reasons, you know, political expediency and different things. I think it doesn't, um, it doesn't tell the full story, Tim, and, and long answer to your very straightforward question, but I think a, it's a healthy marketplace. I think we have our challenges around skill shortage, which is a significant challenge. I think this digital transition is causing more challenges for companies than it probably should at this stage, but it's a good problem to have, meaning this can be worked through. You know, th- th- this is not an insurmountable challenge. It's really more about companies making the right investment in talent to understand how to manage that kind of a transition. But I think overall, we've got a pretty healthy market. Uh, taking taking the, the next point, uh, being that you, as we, are dealing with so many manufacturers and yep. you're traveling around the country yep. listening to all their tales of woes and their good stories yep. and bad stories, what's, what's the basic underlying feeling about the tariffs? Yeah. Do the manufacturers understand what's really happening to them? Yeah. Um, I, I, my honest answer was... I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. So I I would say if I start at the end and then work backwards, I would say of probably over the last, uh, I'll I'll say, thousand conversations I've had, uh, you know, in and around the tariffs, a lot. Like you all, we're out engaging and we're speaking in front of groups. Um, Almost to a person, people come back and say, hey, I may disagree with how we're going about this. I may disagree with some of the perceptions and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is this is something that's needed to be reconciled for years. Mm-hmm. So pretty, pretty consistently hear that. And, and by the way, right. I don't ask them their political persuasions. My guess is there's people from both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. if you will, right, that are, that are espousing that. Um, some industries have been harder than others. Mm-hmm. So we, we have several customers or ours in the lumber marketplace that have right. really felt the pinch. And, right. and you, know, it, you know, because of the old NAFTA going away and some of the tariffs have, have felt it. Um, I think to your point, Lou, I think in its own weird way, it's a little like the ISM stuff. The, the data we have in our industry is so scant that people rely on. I think a lot of people don't know. They're trying to figure out, hey, is this new tariff friend or foe? Is this going to help my business or hurt me? And they're really not sure because it's not like one of these trade associations is going to give you a bunch of data and show you. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of confusion. And as you know, markets don't like confusion. But there's Correct. there's a fair amount of confusion. I, I was going to ask you guys, what are you hearing from from people about? Well, uh, there is confusion, yeah. and and I think that uh, many believe that uh, this is a good thing that we needed to do this. We needed to teach China a lesson and so on. But again, to your point, there's other ways of doing it. Yeah, and tariffs have never worked. Yeah, uh, quotas might work better. Yeah, and it won't hurt us. 
at the same time that were supposedly helping us. Yeah. And yep. my personal belief is we're not helping ourselves yep. with this. Yep. And uh, like I said, a quota system has worked in the past. Tariffs don't. If you, if you, you know, we mentioned before kind of these three drivers, right? The digital transformation, globalization, and the, and the you know, multi-generational workforce. When you look at globalization, it is linked to the advances in technology. You know, whether we want to think about it that way or not, you know, we, we live in, a, in an interconnected world today. That's right. the reality of what we do. Um, the Chinese market can't exist without the U.S., and the U.S. can't exist without the Chinese market. That, that horse is already out of the barn, if you will, right? So right. I, I, th I think to your point, Lou, I think, you know, perhaps, you know, a, 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 a more in-depth understanding of what might work. How could we do this? How do we deal with it? And boy, you can watch, you know, um, the, the thing that's probably most surprising people from a geopolitical point of view is we've only talked over the last 25 years about the West's influence over China. Now suddenly we're seeing China can have an influence over the West. Sure. And, you know, you don't have to get much further than the NBA to realize China can Send a, sta send a statement very quickly uh, about what, what they think. And that's, that's neither here nor there, but it's a part of the puzzle here that we've all got to think through what are the best ways to get win-win agreements in place with trading partners because we can't pretend this isn't a major trading partner that we have to have a relationship with. But not only that, the, the Chinese uh, have gone ahead and they're doing certain things within their, their, their future. Uh, like dealing with uh, Africa, bringing yep. manufacturing there, yep. uh, the Belt and Road yep. project and program yep. that they're into. This is all sort of how they will not have to necessarily deal with the U.S. as much as Absolutely. they have been. So yep. they're already good planning this. It's a very good point. And we're not. Well, and I think We're not to, your, buying into it. to your point, you know, a lot of folks who know a lot more about these kind of political and, and economic issues than I'll ever know are, are talking about, kind of paraphrasing your point, Lou, of China playing the long game. Mm -hmm. and, and the U.S. kind of playing a short-term game right now. It's almost like the old, you know, differences between a private and a public company. Mm -hmm. You know, the public company needs to look at the quarter. The private company can look at the year. Okay. And I think there's a little bit of that going on right now. I think there's some truth to that. Well, not only that, and I'm not, I know I'm not going to get this correct, but there's a book that came out a couple of years ago, and it was called uh, China, the Hundred-Year War. And uh, it was written by a CIA operative <laughs> who talks <laughs> about what China had planned for the next hundred years. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I was up at Cape Cod taking a vacation, and I said, I'm going to read this book. Oh, uh, boy. And Wrong I, thing to read on yeah, vacation. really, really. And, <laughs> and I, I, I didn't sleep at night. Yeah. This was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and they're they're doing what they yeah. said they're going to do and yeah. it's all written out and this was written by an american cia operative oh, wow. who had to get permission from all kinds of government agencies to even print this book yeah. to write the yeah. book and uh they're doing it yeah they yeah. are doing it. china yeah. is looking at the long haul the long game as yep. you refer to yep. it yep. and we're not buying into it yeah we don't we don't understand how they yeah how they're doing this. I, I think it'll be fascinating to watch this play out over time because I, I do think, you know, it, it's, you can't take the two largest economies in the world and, and, and have them start moving things around 
there's this massive, and we're seeing it, ripple effect. Sure. Right? So, you know, you, you go through the G7 or G8, I can't remember, do we call it G7 today, of the yeah. top economies well, the in the world? The new one is seven. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those are the seven largest GDPs in, uh, in, in the world. And y- you look at that, and, you know, if, if the top two have a disproportionate impact mm-hmm. on the rest, which they do, right. you know, this, this is a, a complicated time to try to predict global trends. Well, if G1 and G2 dropped out of that, number three, four, five, six, seven will just pack it in. Yeah, right. Yeah. We're, we're the, we are the leader. We are. China is the leader. It's true. Yeah. It is so. true. Yeah. But Tony, the other thing I know that you are watching and you've got a lot of data with Thomas is the digital transformation of industrial sales marketing and supply chain. And you recently put out an interesting uh, commentary on it isn't that you've forgotten how to sell, your buyer is buying differently or something to that effect. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, thanks, Tim, and I, I uh, appreciate you, you commenting on it. So I, I sent it to you and Lou. Uh, I, I recently wrote because I, I get just so much information and I, I want to share this with people out in the marketplace. So on the platform Medium, I wrote a post called, you know, you didn't forget how to sell, your buyer changed how they buy. And, and the headline kind of gives away most of it, but um, basically what, what our data is showing is, you know, that, that phenomenon of the buyer being 70% of the way through a process before they engage with a sales rep. All of us now nod our head with that. We, we, we kind of, oh yeah, sure, you know, we understand that, that makes sense. But what's happening now is it's forcing companies to realize that, say, word of mouth or the annual trade show, or a lot of tried and true methodologies that they've been using, the phone isn't ringing anymore. No. People don't know who they are. Or right. they, they're, the buyer that they used to deal with at Big Company X is no longer there or perhaps no longer returning a phone call. And it's changing the nature of how sales actually operates. And, and some companies are embracing this, and some companies are struggling. Before we went on air, we were talking a little bit about this phenomenon, Tim, and we were talking about the average company in manufacturing can give you a lot of data on quote to cash, meaning how many projects did I quote and how many did I close, right? Well, right. The, the problem with that is if the buyer is 70% of the way through the process before they engage with you, you're only tracking the last 25% of a process, you're in real trouble today. So what we talk a lot about and use our data to help illuminate is you have to understand interest to invoice today. Meaning, hey, am I generating interest? Mm-hmm. Am I seeing the digital footprints of people who have a propensity to buy my product and service? And then, am I helping them with their jobs to be done? Through content, through information, through support. And then when they hit a certain level, perhaps it's that 70%, it's not a cold call when I engage with them. Right. It's a warm call now, right? Um, behavioral scientists, Tim, are talking about this thing called the relevancy firewall, which is that 70%. If you haven't developed relevancy, you know what? You're not getting in. Right. I mean, if I don't know who you are, I don't know the value you bring, I don't really understand much about your company you're offering, the odds that you're going to get into that last 25 or 30% and have a shot at winning the deal are going down. It's not impossible but it's going down. And so that, that post is, is really, Tim, just, man, it, it's the uh, amalgamation, if I can use that term, of so many conversations and then trying to take all this complex data we have and, and, and put it out in a way that can make sense to people, you know, what we're, what we're watching in the, in the process. I, this, this all comes back to 
the original point that we were talking about, and that's marketing. Yeah. The new marketing. Yeah. And if you're not doing the new marketing, it's either change or die. Yeah. Uh, and there are companies uh, that I talk to who still have not bought in. Yeah. I mean, there. I mean, the other day we were talking, we're doing some uh, marketing here, and uh, I threw out a question. I said, "Should we be using our fax number in our marketing?" I, I got a resounding no from everybody. Meanwhile, I'm the one who wants to use your 12 books or 20, yeah. what, 27 books of the Thomas Register yeah. on the, uh, yeah. the slogan of this uh, show. Yeah. Uh, some of hanging on to the old stuff is not bad, but if you're not doing the marketing, the new marketing, the yeah. transformation yeah. of uh, uh, the, the new methodology, yeah. you're, you're really going to I think you're touching on something that's fascinating, Lou. So, we, we counsel companies all the time around this idea of, you know, don't, don't change everything. Be careful of, you know, of, of changing buyer behavior. So we realize the buyer's gone online. We get that. They're doing all their research. You know, the example I give to people that don't come from a marketing background is you don't go into a car lot today to look at cars. You go into a car lot to buy a car that you know everything about. You actually know more than the sales rep does because you've done all your work online. The buyer's the same way. The average industrial buyer today knows far more than the smartest sales rep at any individual company about that company's offering, about who else has bought it, and what else is going on in the market. That's the nature of the beast today. So the, the asymmetry we used to have as sellers where we had more information than our buyer, that's gone now. Right. The game's been changed around, right? So how do you operate in a, in a market like that and how do you add value? Concurrent with that is something you just touched on, Lou. We also say to companies, be careful about doing away with things that you feel might reflect that you're old-fashioned. Fax machine would be a great example right. of this. We've got about a million active registered users on ThomasNet. An average month is about 1.6 million uses of the platform. And as we analyze that, we recently did a test where we took, you know, we're always doing what are called A-B tests, where we'll funnel some of the audience to look at the same thing in two different ways right. to kind of sure. see, you know, what, what converts better. We took the fax number off and left just, you know, the, the, the digital contact stuff. We got complaints for taking the fax number down from that's, buyers. That's very from buyers. Now, I, I don't know statistically could I have enough data to suggest that the fax really matters, but, you know, there is going to be a component of the buying audience out that are still going to do business in certain yeah. ways. And I think we need to be careful about going so far. You know, it's, it's a balancing act, and I think this is where we just also emphasize really focus on the jobs to be done of the buyers in your market. They might be different or subtly mm -hmm. different than another market. There could be sectors of the market that still use the fax machine. You know, you may find that your tires are slashed downstairs when you leave because the marketing department hears it. No, uh -oh. no, uh -oh. fa no fax machine. Tim, no I may fax. need security to get me out of here today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but it's true that uh, my feeling is what's the big deal? Yeah. So leave it. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing. I'd go back to what we said earlier, Lou. When you, when you realize the demographic stretch of an industry, of, you know, I keep using the numbers 18 to 70, we worked with a, a, a leading research company called Stratagen, and I've shared some of this mm -hmm. research on the jobs to be done of the industrial buying process that we worked with them on. The scientists came back to us later and said they'd never studied an industry, a professional industry, not a consumer market, professional industry that right. had that demographic stretch to it. Mm -hmm. And... 
So something unique is going on there, but I think it also says, hey, if, and it's not just age, but if that 70-year-old, the fax machine means something to them as a business platform versus the 18-year-old, as long as it doesn't alienate the 18-year-old, right. why not? Yeah. Right? I mean, it could be one of those good examples that be careful of throwing that out. Right. You know, you might be alienating somebody inadvertently. So how many people did actually make a complaint about the fax machine? It, it was it was below 100. It, it was, I, I think it was somewhere around 50 to 55. And, and we did, you know, I, I can't remember how many we went through. I mean, maybe we siphoned 1,000 or so. Right. It was more than you would think. Right. And, and it was enough that we thought, Okay, back up. And again, we do as many as, and every day we're probably doing 25 to 30 what are called A-B tests on the platform. Mm -hmm. You know, and it could be something simple to like, you know, this button's red versus mm -hmm. green right. and does red do better than green? So we're right. always doing that kind of stuff. The other thing we started doing about two years ago, we actually record every visit to the platform and anonymize it. And then we can pull it up and look at it. So we can see an engineer at an aerospace company, Fortune 100 company, and we can look at what, what did they do and how did they interact with things and what did they use, what did they not use. And we use this for product planning. Mm -hmm. But it also sure. gives us, I think, some emerging insights into how do these people use platforms like ours when they're making purchase decisions. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's it. So what's the bottom line? Are you put it using the facts? We're going to keep not? it. We're going to keep right. it. This just in. All right. The facts, the facts still... Uh, the facts is back. Next year, you never know. All bets are off. But, uh, yeah. Everything evolves. Yeah, Everything right. Everything evolves. Yeah. Um, well, this, this is all very, very interesting. We could, we could probably talk for three or four days. Uh, the uh, regard, I'd like to go back to the tariffs if we sure. can for a minute. It's uh, one of my heartfelt issues. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, do many of your people talk to you about it? It, it, it? Lou, it comes up probably, I don't want to say every meeting, but, but it, it, the, in the most meetings. As you know, we have a, a program we call Together for Industry. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, we just go around the country to kind of major manufacturing sectors. You know, 100 people in the room, right. we serve breakfast, and we just take people through our data and then this research on the buying process right. and how it works. And inevitably in those, almost every time somebody will ask a question about what are we seeing as a result of the tariffs right. and I, I answered just the way I did here that we believe we can see some evidence mm -hmm. that it is stimulating North America sourcing but at the same point that's probably not outrunning business that the tariffs are probably right. holding back from right. from lost relationships with you know perhaps China or Canada or, mm -hmm. or, or other uh, other countries um, I think there's it, it felt to me like it reached a bit of a fever pitch probably about six to nine months ago, and people aren't asking quite as much as they did, and I, I hate to say this, but I wonder if deal fatigue just sets in of, yeah. I, I don't know what the latest is today, so I, you know, I, I'm just trying to manage through you know, the business dynamics right. of this. Right, it gets, it gets old quick. It does, and in, in so much of it's so confusing. I, I think that's the, the real challenge here of, you know, th there's so much, I'll call it misinformation or confusing sure. information or conflicting information that I think the average person, you know, we, we probably have more data than, you know, most folks do. Sure. We can't make hide hair of it. You know, we, we get asked all the time, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And, and I always try to say, we're not, we're not here to make that judgment. We can see the impact of it to, to suggest that this is having a positive impact over time or a negative impact over time, or there's an alternative way of doing this. 
can't say that we can uh, we can see it. We have opinions. Yeah. I try to I try to live in Switzerland when I can on that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not always successful. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it certainly is a, a challenging time that uh, we're living through. Yeah. Um, Tim, uh, are you uh, are you with us? I, I am still hanging in here, Lou. Yeah. Uh, we, we we have a little television screen issue here. So, oh, okay. yeah, so I lost us, but uh, we're still here broadcasting from Atlanta with uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. And Tony, we always appreciate when you come on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, Thomas has such great information that we almost want to do a monthly Tony segment to get that information out into the marketplace. And I don't know myself personally where I would go on ThomasNet to get it or find it. But I, I know that Tony's there, so we just go to you. You know, thanks for being well, with us. Well, we could we could start a show called Tony Talks. Oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> this this is how we get into trouble when these crazy ideas go. Hey, I, thanks again, guys. You know how much I enjoy and appreciate that you have us on, and <laughs> it gives us increased visibility. And um, many of the things that we've talked about, Tim. Uh, on ThomasNet, we've added a lot of actionable content, including the supplier content and the data that we have on there. And it's uh, called the Market Insights section on ThomasNet. So we have about 500,000 pieces of fresh content. And it's also in there that someone can subscribe to Thomas uh, Industry Update, which is our daily email newsletter where mm -hmm. we distribute right. a lot of this information. So uh, thank you, for, Tim, for having us on. And uh, always enjoy, you know, uh, chatting through these issues. And if I could... Uh, I, I have it now on video. I'm going to hold Lou to the reciprocal. He's going to come on the podcast, Tim. You're a witness you to go. that. So <laughs> This afternoon? Uh, maybe next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Next week I'm up at the Cape. Oh, boy. All right. We'll find a time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can always sit out on the deck with my iPad and we can do a show from... The magic of technology. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. We've done... Tim and I have done that. Yeah. I've been in Brazil. He was in Atlanta. I love it. We had a guest in D.C. Yeah. And another one from California. Yeah. And yeah. we were all on together. You know, it's funny. And, and you know, you when we, when, we, when we break, you and I can have a conversation about that. One of the things that we're learning as we produce video content, but also the podcast content, the best ones are when somebody's in the studio with us. Mm-hmm. Be, yeah. Because it's hard, it's hard over the phone to replicate the nonverbal communication. Right. I can see how you react to something. I can see if you understood the question I asked right. or if the question resonated with you. Sure. It's, Body language. I, I, we've done a few with you know somebody you know remote, if you will. I, I find that they're much better when they're in the studio, mm -hmm. and you can also be more extemporaneous. Yes. You can suddenly come up with a different question because you're seeing how the right. uh, how they're reacting, how they handle yeah. the, the first part of the question. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Okay, uh, again, uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Lou. Uh, and uh, I consider this a special show, and we're going to milk it for all it's worth. And uh, again. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. It's always great you to see you. Shake Thank hands you, Tim. With Tim. Virtual <laughs> handshake, my friend. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thanks, Tony, for joining us at Manufacturing Talk Radio. And as always, we appreciate our listeners and encourage you to go to mfgtalkradio.com to watch this or listen to any of our other episodes. Also, our sister podcast, Women in Manufacturing and Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, which is a fascinating show. Tune into those. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>